Well, good morning. It's good to have you here today. If you're a guest with us, my name is Wayne, one of the pastors here, and I'm looking forward to spending some time in Scripture with you today. I'd invite you to take a Bible, please, and turn to the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on how you want to say it. It's a, a difficult book to find, so let me tell you that it's uh, toward the end of the, New, of the Old Testament, and you'll find that there should be some Bibles there in the pew rack in front of you if you don't have one with you. The page numbers for those particular Bibles are on the screens behind me. If you don't own a Bible, then do us a favor, if you will, and take that Bible home as our gift to you today, all right? We'd be honored if you'd do that. We're going to start, though, today while you're looking for Habakkuk, and trust me, everyone in the room who's got their own Bible is looking in the front of the, the index, okay? There's no shame in that. Just look in the index and find it there, okay? So you'll, you'll, it's just two or three pages long. Before we get to it, you see a pretty sorrowful-looking tree up here today. I literally went into one of the um, storage units of the church, and I found it. And it's got dust, and frankly, it's quite ugly, and I was going to clean it all up, but then actually, in light of a story I want to tell you, I thought it's kind of fitting that it looks so pitiful. It just occurred to me, probably one of you gave it to the church as your special gift to us, and I'm just slamming you terribly. But <laughs> it's not that sorrowful. Well, kind of it is. <laughs> so I want to tell you a legend, a, a legend that comes from the Jewish Hasidic tradition. The legend says that when we get to heaven, that everybody who is, goes to heaven is going to carry with them a bag of sorrows, all the troubles that they had in life while on earth. And when they get to heaven, their primary thing to do first is to take all those sorrows and to hang them on that sorrow tree. And so I've been thinking about this story for a number of weeks in light of today's sermon and it occurred to me there are probably a number of different sorrows that are represented in the room here today and I thought I would give you just some idea of what some of them might be and I'll see if I can get them to stay on the tree. For example, for some of you in the room, at the, you know, you go, man, I'm always struggling with money. Either I don't have enough or the wrong person has my money. Whatever the case, if you were to characterize an issue that I have in my life, I, I struggle with what to do with finances and how to get enough or how to deal with what I have. And when you get to heaven, you're going to ask God, why was your life like that versus somebody else down the street who seemed to always have more than you have? And so you would say that when it comes to the sorrow tree, you would like to have something on there about finances, all right? Some of you have a significantly different issue, and that is your life has been plagued by illness. And you go, man, every time it seems like I'm just getting my act together, I get another illness or I break another bone or just something. It, it never fails. Everybody else is healthy and I work out and everything, but man, it just, it never comes together. So for you, you'd say, man, one of my sorrows is that I've faced illness way too often. Some of you go, well, let me tell you about my story and about my life. If you want to know what one of my sorrows were, my parents didn't do it right. Some of you who have kids, their kids are... I had, in the first service this morning, one guy went like this at his mom and dad when I brought this up. So some of you go, man, my, if my parents had just handled me a little bit different and done things differently, it would be a whole lot easier. And so thus... Parents, I've been my trouble. Others of you would then go, well, you know about that. You think the parents are bad? You should see my children. 
they just have not turned out the way I wanted them to turn out. I worked so hard. I worked, I mean, I slaved to the, I mean, right down to the bone. My kids just didn't turn out the way I'd hoped. This one may hit home to many of us in the room. Grief. Somewhere along the line, even if we haven't had somebody close to us die, we know a sense of loss. And when you think about, when you get to heaven, you want to ask God, why was life, why was loss part of life? As a matter of fact, for some of you in the room, it's like, I'm just a doubting person. I know it'd be really cool and people like it when they see the glass as half full, but I was just a half empty person. I mean, I always doubted everything and it was kind of, it was my DNA and I, I would really like not to be that way, but I am, I'm a doubter. This has impacted people more than they sometimes want to acknowledge. Divorce. Your parents divorced, you divorced. Maybe divorce once or twice, three times. And you go, you know, when I was 17 and thinking about starting dating and getting married sometime, you know, after that, I would never have dreamt that part of my resume 30 years later would include this. It was nowhere in even in my vocabulary. And what on earth happened that this happened to us? This one's impacted our family. Addictions. Someone in the family maybe has a really bad drug habit, alcohol. Maybe that's you even. And you go, man, I wish that I hadn't met that person who introduced me to that substance. Or I am so obsessive compulsive to a fault that it's wrong. It's an addiction. I guess one word describes it all, disappointment. If we're gonna hang sorrows on a sorrow tree when we get to heaven, wouldn't it simply be things didn't go the way I'd hoped? And if I was to just cap it all off, I'd say there were some moments of significant disappointment. So the question I have, does anyone relate to that in any way? And if so, I've got some good news for you today. I've got some good news for you today coming out of a very, very difficult book called the book of Habakkuk. Let me see if I can set the stage for you, okay? Habakkuk was written some 2,600 years ago. And it's really a conversation between a man by the name of Habakkuk and God. And he has these prayers that he brings to God and um, God answers. And bottom line is, He's wanting to know, why is life so hard? And why does it seem to get harder? As a matter of fact, if you know the, uh, the historical setting of where Habakkuk was talking, you can understand what's going on. Let me see if I can refresh your memory for those of you who are new with us today. We're in the middle of a sermon series that's going to take us all the way through the end of the Old Testament. The 12 minor prophets. We looked at six of them last winter. We're looking at the last six here at the end of the year before we step into Christmas. And those, those minor prophets are called minor, not because they are minor messages. As a matter of fact, what you'll hear today, I think is a very powerful message in our lives, what Habakkuk has to say. But because, they're called minor because the books are very small. 
And in these small little books, some of them are just two and three pages long, there's some powerful, powerful truths. Habakkuk happened to be written some 2,600 years ago. They were all written in about the same time frame. Here's what happens. Israel is at the height of its glory when David was king at 1,000 B.C. As his family began to grow and went through a number of generations, the family began to argue with one another as to who was going to be king, in a nutshell. That's big generalization. So that eventually he had a number of different sons and grandsons all vying for different parts of the kingdom so that in the long run, the nation of Israel began to be divided. And it became known then as Israel was considered 10 tribes, 10 groups of people in the north, and two groups of people in the south were Judah. So there were 12 tribes in the people of Israel, Jewish, and they began to be split. And both groups, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, eventually wandered away from God. The people in the north more quickly than the ones in the south. And when they wandered away from God, God's hand of protection was taken away from them. So in 721, the group up north were overrun by the Assyrians. We looked at that last week. And they literally disappeared from the historical record. We know nothing of the people of the north. They literally were killed and wiped out. The people in the south took a little bit longer to wander away from God, the people of Judah, but they did so as well, and they were overrun by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Habakkuk was written probably about 15 years prior to 586, somewhere around 600 B.C. And Habakkuk is looking, he's looking around at the global scene, at all that's taking place. He can see that the Assyrians, that their, their glory and their military might is beginning to fall off, and he's beginning to see that the Babylonians are getting high. And he can see that the Babylonians, if things keep going within the next 10, 15 years, he can say to himself, within the next 10, 15 years, the Babylonians are going to be at our doorstep and we are in trouble. Turmoil is coming and I want to know why, God. I want to know why there's a bunch of sorrow that we're going to experience. Our brothers and sisters to the north have already experienced horrible sorrow and I can see that it's coming our way. Why is that, God? Why is sorrow coming? And he asked the question in a conversational prayer. If you'll look with me, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. We're reading the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. And he asks, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? How long shall I cry out to you, violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, as a result of all that, the, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. I, I've got a lot of questions, God. It's bad news out there. It's really bad out there. What's going to happen? And God answers, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you wouldn't believe in if you were told. You, this is going to happen in your lifetime, Habakkuk. And you, if I had told you earlier, you wouldn't have, you would have, you, no way. But look at the world around you and see what's happening. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And let me tell you about the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They were a law to themselves and promote their honor, their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. This is God telling Habakkuk what's going to happen. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour, and they all, all come intent on violence. These are ugly people that are coming your way, Habakkuk. Violence is their language. 
Their hordes advance like a desert wind, and they gather prisoners like sand. I mean, we have this saying, how can you count the grains of sand? That's how the people of Babylon gain prisoners, that many. They mock kings, they scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. They are guilty people, his own strength is their God. And Habakkuk says, what's going on, God? Why is this trouble coming our way? What's happening? And God's answer is, I'm using the Babylonians. I've got a divine plan in place, and the Babylonians, they're ugly people. They're ruthless. They're impetuous. Violence is on their tongue, but I'm going to use them. In other words, I've got a divine plan to set up the Babylonian people as leaders of the world. God describes what they're like in chapter 2, verse 4, if you'll flip over there. Look, he says, look at them. See, the Babylonians, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. Oh, by the way, can I tell you? As compared to the Babylonians, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. But going back to the Babylonians, indeed, wine betrays Babylon. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives of all people. This is who's coming your way, Habakkuk. And he's saying, God, there's a lot of sorrow coming toward us. And I don't know if I really want it. I don't know if I want this stuff that, like what we've planted on this tree here. But then God says, okay, but look what I'm going to do to those Babylonians. Verse 15, same chapter. Woe to the Babylonians who give drink to his neighbors, pouring it from wineskin till they are drunk so that he, the Babylonian, can gaze on their naked bodies. You are so vile that all you want, I mean, the, the only way to describe it is you're a pervert. And look what's going to happen to you. You, Babylon, will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed because the cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you've done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. The violence that you've done is coming back to you. Your destruction of animals will terrify you. The way in which you just kind of cut everything down. You're going to be so scared at the way it's coming back at you. For you have shed human blood, you've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. God is saying, yeah, there's a divine plan in place, Habakkuk, and there's sorrow coming your way, and we'll, I'll explain to you why that sorrow is coming your way and coming why they were going to experience it. But, but God's saying, despite the sorrow, despite the struggle, I want you to be aware of this, that when sorrow does come your way, I still have a plan to deal with sorrow. I still have a plan to deal with those Babylonians. See, think about what I've said already this morning, that both Israel and Judah both wandered away from God. 600 B.C., Judah is still under the hand of God's protection. God had a covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah, that if you stay with me, if you stay in covenant with me, my protection will be upon you, and the nations around you will not impact you. But the moment you, in sin, move away from me, then I can no longer provide protection for you. And Judah, at 600 B.C., is walking away from where God wants them to be. They're 15 years out, when Habakkuk's writing, 15 years out from where their national life is going to deteriorate so far that God's going to say, can't fix it anymore. You've made your own choices. So the Babylonians are going to wipe them out. But then 
50 years later, 586, the Babylonians come in and they wipe out the people of Judah. Here's what they did. They took all the artisans, all the leaders, all the people of wealth, anybody that was educated and smart, and they were all carted off to Babylon as slaves, like sand. Remember that language? So many of them went, decimated the nation. The people left in Judah were people who didn't have any leaders or any wealth of any sort. And though that whole group of people over in Babylon, they were there for 50 years. They died in Babylon. And it was 50 years later, as the Babylonian story began to decrease, the generations coming after those slaves, they were called exiles, in 536 B.C. were allowed to come back to Judah. God said, there's sorrow coming your way because you've walked away from me. But here's what's going to happen to sorrow. In the long run, sorrow is going to be dealt with and everything's going to be restored. There's a lesson here for us, I think, that our own choices, the things that we do, when we choose to move away from God, I know not all these sorrows come from as a result of our own hand, but maybe through the hands of other people and through the decisions of other people, sorrow comes on us. When, when sin brings that in, when trouble comes our way, you need to remember, friends, if we're people of faith, we must acknowledge that God is still in control. God is still in control of your life, even if you've got stuff that you'd like to plant on this tree today. God is still in control. May I remind you again what we look at, what we discussed last week in Romans chapter 8. Paul the Apostle is writing about sorrow that comes our way. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he lists a number of things that could be really troublesome, really ugly, really difficult. And he says, shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or nakedness, or famine, or danger, or sword. Eight things he lists right there. If, I mean, it goes everywhere from not having enough food to just straight out trouble, to actually being killed. He says, if, 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 can any of those things come against us? Well, yeah, they might impact us. They might be sorrows in our lives. But it, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Earlier on in the chapter, he says, that we know this, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That, okay, in the long run we know if any of this stuff impacts us, if we ever get carted off to exile, if you will, and life is really troublesome for a period of time, in the long run we get to be people who are brought back to where God wants us to be and God is in the middle of all of that, swirling around in the great cosmos of, of his work in our lives, if you will, putting it all together. It's all good news. Paul says, I'm convinced that neither, neither height nor depth, neither life nor death, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nothing in all of creation, Romans chapter 8 says, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's all good news. And we go, great, great, great news. But I want to go, yeah, but how come I have to get the hard stuff? Can't we just get to the good news? Like, for example, earlier on, uh, next slide, please, guys. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, a little bit later on, pardon me, he says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, that's lovely. I'll do that. I'll overcome evil. But I'd rather say, well, can we just skip evil altogether? Okay, I, I know I can overcome and that all things work together for good. I'd like to go, well, can we just forget the evil part? Jesus himself said this in John. He said, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Well, great. I'm gonna, I've got great heart that Jesus has overcome the world and overcome my trouble. But in the long run, I'd like to say, can I just skip the hard part altogether? 
I'm reminded in that regard of Benjamin, our son, when he's a little boy, he's going to, you know, if he don't call him or text him that I used him in this sermon today. <laughs> he lives in Ann Arbor. He's in a church up there. But I remember when he was a little boy, probably three to seven in that age, somewhere along that line, he'd do something wrong. Unless he was really good at this, you'd say, we're going to punish you for this. And then we'll love you. But first we're going to punish you. And then he'd look up with those blue pleading eyes. Can we just get to the loving part first? <laughs> okay, so, so Jesus says, in this world you'll have trouble, but I've, you don't take heart, I've overcome the world. I'd rather say, just take heart, it's going to be all good. Wouldn't that be more fun, I think? But Habakkuk teaches us a completely different reality. Habakkuk teaches us that, that struggles... Struggles push us to ask God, like Habakkuk, in conversational prayer, God, why is this happening? And then as God answers, the full plan of God for the people of Judah comes into play. And God says, you know what? I want to be certain that they are going to hang tight with me and that they're going to live out my plan. And if sorrow is part of that, to bring them to an understanding of who I am in their lives, I'm cool with it. I know we don't particularly like that, but God's goal is not to make our lives easy. Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble. God's goal is for us to be in covenant relationship with him. Let me tell you the other half of this Hasidic tree story, okay? The Jewish story about the tree, remember? That everybody goes to heaven, and they take their bag of sorrows, and they get to put that bag of sorrows on the tree. Here's what happens in the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that once everybody gets to heaven, and they've all put their bag of sorrows on the tree, all of humanity wanders around the tree for a period of time. And one by one, they are asked to take, take up another bag of sorrows. They've put theirs on the tree. They have to choose another one to take. You know what the, sorrow, what the uh, legend says? The legend says that in the long run, everybody chooses the bag they put there in the first place because they've already figured out how to work out those sorrows with God because after all, they're already in heaven. The sorrows brought them to God. Now, I want to tell you that's a legend, and it's Jewish. I get that, but we're not Jewish people here. We're Christians. And may I suggest to you today that as nice as that sounds, it's not really good theology because it flies in the face of something else. Now, if you want to talk about a sorrow tree holding sorrows and a, a way in which to deal with your sorrows, you've got to get a completely different perspective. You've got to take all the sorrows that are on your tree and turn them around from where you face and where you live. Turn them around to face the cross. Turn them around to face the cross of Jesus Christ because what is the cross? The cross is another sorrow tree. The cross of Jesus Christ bears our sorrows through Jesus' work. Remember what we read in Habakkuk chapter 2 just a moment or two ago? Throw it up on the screen, guys. It says, the enemy, Babylon, is puffed up. His desires are not upright. And there's this little aside that Habakkuk mentions, and Paul quotes it later on in Romans. He says, but the righteous person will live by his faith. 
As people who follow Christ, if you're a Christian here today, a believer of Jesus Christ, you say that you follow Jesus Christ, and based on that, you trust Jesus' work on Calvary to carry your sorrows. In faith, we say, I'm not carrying my sorrows anymore. I'm not even leaving them on a, on a, on a tree that I'm going to pick up later on. Instead, the cross of Jesus Christ has already carried my sorrows. As a matter of fact, it's not the cross, but instead, it's Jesus Christ himself who has carried my sorrows. Isaiah 53 calls Jesus the man of sorrows. Surely he has borne our griefs. And what has he done? Carried our sorrows. Different people have proclaimed that different way. One hymn writer goes, man of sorrows. What a name for the son of God who came. Any ruined sinner, a sinner like me, a sinner like you, he came to reclaim, hallelujah, what a savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Jesus Christ is the man of sorrows. You don't need a sorrow tree out of a Hasidic Jewish tale, as sweet as it is. But instead, face all those sorrows. Get a different perspective. Get them away from looking at you and get them planted at the foot of the cross and allow Jesus Christ to carry them. So remember this, that when Jesus died, if he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, your name, your sorrows and your name are written in the nail prints that are embedded in his wrist. If we're people of faith, Habakkuk says the righteous will live by faith, then by faith we've got to say, I don't always get it. I don't always get God's divine plan, but I'm a person of faith. And I say, I will believe that God is in charge. And no matter what comes flying at me, no matter how many sorrows come flying at me, I'm going to believe that God's in charge of them. You know, they come at me like, like a batter with, with a pitcher on a mound up there. And, you know, here comes a fastball. Whack. In faith, I can get that going. If it comes really slowly and wobbly, still, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. If it comes like a curveball and I swing at it and it's over there and I miss, it doesn't matter because God's in charge. If it's like I'm standing in front of a pitching machine and they're coming so fast that I can't even keep up, no. The person of faith who says, I rely on the work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. He carried my griefs. He carries my sorrows. I would suggest to you today, friends, that if that's the case, and I'd like to give you two things to think about this week and two ways to get your sorrows in the right perspective of the cross of Jesus Christ. One, remind yourself regularly through both a head action and a heart belief that evil carries within itself its own seeds of destruction. That's exactly what we learn in Habakkuk. That yes, the Babylonians came in and they swept over Judah, but the way in which, what do we read? Chapter 2. Habakkuk, as he's listening to God, says that, Jude, that Babylon would be filled with shame instead of glory. The way in which Babylon was looking at nakedness, there Babylon was going to be exposed. The violence you've done to Lebanon is going to overwhelm you. Your destruction of animals will terrify you. The way in which you've shed blood is going to come back upon you. Any evil, any sorrow that comes your way has within its own DNA the seeds of its own destruction. The Babylonians were allowed, but in the long run, they lost. So convince yourself, if you want, well, maybe that's not the right language. Believe. 
with your head and your heart that the sorrow that comes your way will be destroyed. And secondly, take a positional response. A positional response that says, I'm going to hang tight to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because anything that I try to do of myself, I can't get there. I cannot be good enough for God. But through the graceful work of Jesus Christ at Calvary, through his blood, which he literally... it came out of him on my behalf. I am now covered by that blood. When, when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see all my sorrows. He doesn't see all my evil. Instead, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ, which is a covering for my sin. Oh, God, keep me near the cross. Keep me there aware of what... As a matter of fact, do you know that song? Do you know that old hymn? It goes like this. Jesus, keep me near. Can you sing it with the cross? There a precious fountain free to all the healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain it's not a fatalistic approach to life. It's an understanding that God's in charge. And we live our lives under the shadow of the cross, knowing that Jesus Christ, through his work, has already paid, paid for it all. He already bears our sorrows. And somehow or other, Habakkuk understood that, yeah, it's ugly. 
There's plenty of sorrows. But I will trust God. As a matter of fact, at the very end of the chapter, at the very end of the book, pardon me, in chapter 3, he says this in verse 16. Habakkuk is speaking. He says, I heard my heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound. It's so ugly that decay is kept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He knows they are coming. They are invading us right now and I can hardly wait for that to be over. But you need to know this. Though the fig tree does not bud and there be no grapes on the vine. If there's even not enough food to eat. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. And though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. You know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust God. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Friends, we stand in the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ today. And regardless of what sorrows may come our way, I've got good news for you. We rejoice in God our Savior. Would you stand together, please? And I'd like us to respond to this today in this way. This can be some of us here at the front of the sanctuary. We'd love to have prayer with you today if you're in a setting in life where you go, man, it's just really ugly. It, I mean, if you want to talk about sorrows, i got plenty of them. Or maybe it's just one, but you, it's kind of getting under your skin. If you'd like to pray about that, we'd love to have prayer with you. If you need to give your life to Jesus and say, I, I've never, I don't know what all this means yet, but there's something about this that makes sense. If that's you, I'd like to invite you forward. We'd love to have a, a brief chat and a conversational prayer, kind of like Habakkuk. God, we don't know why this is going on. Can you show us the plan? You showed Habakkuk the plan for what's happening with Judah. Can you show us? If that's you, we'd invite you to come forward. As we pray, the whole congregation is going to support that with, with a hymn that was written back in the 1800s about how we stand before God because of the work of Jesus Christ. You come as we sing.